Let There Be Light. My guest on today's Sustainable Futures Report is David Emsley of Novalux LED. He explains how much money you can save by changing your lighting. Before that, we consider a world in transition. Are we truly transitioning away from fossil fuels? Jeremy Leggett thinks so. Moody's, the ratings agency, seems to think so. There's still no clear picture on the oil price. There's confusion on environmental policy in Australia. And the Hinkley C EDF Arriva nuclear power station saga goes on. On the other hand, investors are beginning to see opportunities coming out of COP21 for developing the world's energy infrastructure, maybe as much as $13 trillion. I'll throw some light on that. Hello, this is Anthony Day with the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 5th of February 2016. Jeremy Leggett completed his book, The Winning of the Carbon War, with his account of the COP21 Paris Climate Change Conference. He came away optimistic and he's continued to chronicle the transition from fossil fuels to clean energy in his blog at jeremyleggett.net. He tells us that the low oil price has forced the 40th North American driller into bankruptcy and Arch Coal, America's second largest coal miner, has filed for bankruptcy as well. On the other hand, the US solar industry now provides more jobs than oil and gas extraction, more than 200,000 in 2015, a 20% increase from the previous year, amounting to more than 1% of all American jobs. Oil giant BP released its fourth quarter and full year earnings on the 2nd of February, reporting a $6.5 billion loss for 2015, the worst result in decades. It also said it would slash another 3,000 people from its payroll by the end of 2017 from its refining unit, which comes on top of the 4,000 job cuts the company announced in January for its exploration and production division. BP's share price plunged by more than 9.5% in the hours after it revealed its dismal figures. Brent crude was at $56 a barrel in October, but it had halved to $28 last month. Today it's at $35, maybe more by the time you hear this. Is it back on the way up? Pundits and tipsters claim it will reach $80 by June this year. But how do they know? If it does go up, it will make renewable energy far more competitive. Just a footnote on the planned nuclear power station at Hinkley C. Both Reuters and the Bridgewater Mercury have picked up the ongoing story. Aviva, the French nuclear construction company, hovers on the brink of bankruptcy while the nuclear inspectorate determines whether flaws in the reactor vessel of the plant under construction in Flamanville will mean it has to be replaced. Until that's settled, it's going to be impossible for parent EDF to commit to a start date for Hinkley C. The inspectors are not expected to have an answer before the end of this year. Others are drawing positive conclusions from the results of COP21. Writing in Investment and Pensions Europe, that's at ipe.com, Raj Thamothram 
says that for investors, the conclusion should be forceful stewardship. Post COP21, investors should be requiring companies to publish and implement their two degrees centigrade transition plans. This will create a real demand for renewables and catalyse the energy transition. Of course, this depends on getting fund managers to engage, but this is possible using resolutions at annual general meetings where votes are public, he says. Raj Thamotharam is CEO of Preventable Surprises and a visiting fellow at the Smith School, Oxford University. A report from global ratings agency Moody's suggests that there could be more than $50 billion in green bonds issued this year as the world builds on the momentum generated at the Paris conference. They believe the outcome is likely to motivate record levels of green bond investments this year as companies and governments adopt clean energy strategies, cut carbon use and increase the share of renewable energy. Consultancy.uk that's its website, consultancy.uk, reports that to meet growing demand in emerging markets for electricity, up to $13 trillion will need to be invested between 2015 and 2040. This is the conclusion of a report issued by the World Economic Forum and Consultancy Bain. Following agreements at COP21, they say, about what is required to meet the 2 degrees C limit or the possible one5 degree centigrade limit, countries can now start to create stable environments required to meet investors' expectations. Generally good news then, but Chris White in dailycaller.com picks up mixed messages. Australia plans to end its green energy fund at the end of the year, despite the country's Prime Minister championing anti-global warming measures. At COP21, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, who ousted his global warming sceptic predecessor Tony Abbott in 2015, backed calls to limit global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees. At the same time, Australia is still opening coal mines and planning new railways and port expansion in the Great Barrier Reef area to ship it out. <coughs> now, who wants to save some money? I've got a man here who can help you. Just before we do that, did I mention the Sustainable Best Practice Exchange? It takes place in Harrogate on the 14th of April. As you know, the Sustainable Futures Report is brought to you without advertising, subsidy or sponsorship, so please allow me a plug for my conference. You'll find full details on the website at sbpe.co.uk. It's a major event for businesses and public organisations across the north of England. Meet the people behind the real Northern Powerhouse. Learn from them, discuss with them and share your expertise and experience. We're adding new speakers to the lineup all the time. Full details on the website at sbpe.co.uk. And now, a conversation with David Emsley of Novalux LED Limited. I'm talking to David Emsley at Novalux LED. Good afternoon, how are you? Oh, fine, thank you David. Thanks yes. for agreeing to take part in it's this. It's our pleasure. David, we've um, abandoned filament lamps a long time ago because people said they were expensive and not very efficient and we replaced them with uh, 
compact fluorescent lights, sure. which people don't like very much because they take a while to fire up. Yeah. And with halogen and with LEDs, but people didn't like those very much when they first came out. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think LEDs four or five years ago um, were very much uh, underpowered for what was needed commercially. I mean, they were fine for literally Christmas tree lights and um, brake lights of posh cars. Um, but really, when people started looking at them commercially, they weren't in wh white LED in an office, for instance, and they really weren't powerful enough. But technology's moved on a great deal in the last three or four years, and that's why it's really become practical now to use LED in a commercial environment. Okay. Now, I think of a, an LED as a single spot, if you like. I think one of the criticisms was it was a very focused beam as well. Sure. Has that changed? Well, you're sitting under LED panels as we speak, so hopefully that <laughs> not great to demonstrate on the radio, so to speak. But um, yes, LED has moved on an enormous amount. I mean, the first thing is that the technology is now about four or five times more efficient than fluorescent in terms of the amount of light that is generated for a given wattage. So that means that we can now get five times as much light for the same wattage or the same light for a fifth of the wattage and therefore a fifth of the cost. But the sort of fittings that these are now being put into, it's not usually a case of a direct replacement of a, an LED bulb into an old fitting. Now they're nearly all new fittings to use the LEDs much more effectively. And as you can see in these panels we have in an office here, um, they create a square block of light rather than a whole series of little tiny pinpoints of light, which is much more practical and, uh, and very effective in an office environment. So the whole of that square is illuminated, it's not just the light shining behind it? No, it's not. That's actually an edge-lit panel, which means it's got about 40 LEDs down each side, and they shine sideways, Right. and then there is a diffuser panel on the front, which, which evens the light out, so you get a spread of light across that whole square panel as opposed to a series of little spots. Right, okay. Now a fluorescent tube is a tube. Yes. How would you replace that with an LED? Okay. Um, the main way, you can in fact get LED tubes that go into the same old fittings and literally replace it tube for tube. Um, the, they tend to have um, a whole series of little LEDs down the line of the tube um, and of course the science is completely different. Um, the electrics is quite different as well, so we do have to make quite a few adjustments to the electric setup of the, of the fitting behind the fitting mm -hmm. um, to make that work. Um, I mean, for instance, LEDs uh, work on direct current, whereas fluorescent and most other lighting works on alternating current, mains alternating current. So we have to have a small transformer uh, or a driver, as it's called in the industry, to to actually change the 240 volts AC uh, to 40 volts DC to actually drive these uh, these new lights so there's quite there are, there are some changes like that um, but primarily uh, we can change it like for like um, we're also now finding the latest technology of LED is we get a strip of LED um, which is continuous and it's, it's what's called without going too technical it's called a chip on board or a COB which means that the LEDs are mounted directly onto the back plate of the light fitting okay. um, and it's bonded on so that you get a continuous strip of LED rather than individual little little points. 
and that's better because the lighting is spread over a wider area. Right, so that's why you said it's uh, more efficient to actually replace the fitting. Yes, the, the, that's one reason. The other reason is quite often we find that old fittings, particularly the halogen, you've probably got lots of little tiny halogen downlighters in your kitchen or your bathroom at home or maybe in an office in a reception area or a showroom, for a retail mm -hmm. showroom. Yeah. Um, those little halogen LED, uh, sorry, halogen downlighters run at 240 degrees centigrade, mm. which is pretty hot. Yes. Um, it, as you know, if you ever try and change one, <laughs> you've got to let it turn it off and let it cool for quite a long time before you can touch it. Um, now, the problem with those lights is that they are, in fact, heaters, not lights, if I can put it that way. Right. They're a heat source that have light as a side effect. And they've got to get so hot that they literally start to glow white hot right. before they generate light in the, in the visible spectrum. Um, that is incredibly inefficient. LEDs are not heat sources. LEDs are, are an electronic light source which has heat as a minor side effect as opposed to the other way around. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're much more efficient. So um, the problem with that, with the old halogens, is we find quite often that heat has actually damaged the fitting. So when you take out a halogen light, if you try and put an LED bulb into an old halogen fitting, quite often it fails quite quickly because it's the fitting itself that's been damaged. Okay. Okay. And, and from a fire point of view, by the way, which is a side effect, I would be, I've looked at quite a lot of these now. And if you look behind the halogen fittings in a ceiling space, for instance, um, I was in one shop recently that had five or more of these in every one square polystyrene ceiling tile. Right. And the inside of the tile was blackened. Not, not the fittings, the whole tile was blackened inside and all the wiring was brittle and cracking because of the heat. Mm. So, frankly, if you come across anything like that, then... <laughs> Well, A, don't go into the venue because <laughs> it's extremely dangerous. Yes. But um, and the heat being generated was, is just massive. Yes. Well, if you're going to change out the fittings, though, this has obviously got uh, an implication for the cost. Sure. If you're going to put uh, LEDs in, and now that can be offset by what it actually costs to run in terms of power Absolutely. and how long they last because Absolutely. Uh, you don't have Those to are the two key issues, yes. I mean, first of all, LEDs last a lot, lot longer than the older style fluorescent or halogen. I mean, usually up to 10 times as long. I mean, most LEDs now are rated up to 50,000 hours, which is 20 years. Wow. Uh, at 50, 50 hours a week for 50 weeks of the year. Mm. Is, that's, mm. That works out to 20, hour, 20 years. Now, obviously, if you manage to get a fluorescent or a halogen to last more than about 12 to 18 months, you're doing extremely well. So one of the major differences in cost, yes, they are more expensive to put in, but then you're saving all of the product replacement and maintenance issues yeah. for 20 years down the line. Um, the other thing is, as I mentioned earlier, they're much more efficient electrically. So the fact that we can actually um, get four times the, the light out of the same wattage means that when we fit these, nearly always we find that there is a saving of 50 to 70% of the client's energy bill mm -hmm by using these different lights instead of the ones they've already got. Um, now that's that translates obviously into money. And although it isn't cheap to put LED lights in, um, we always do, We our particular company, Novalux, do a energy assessment 
to make sure that the saving uh, enormously outweighs the cost. Um, And we find that we usually get a payback, in other words, how soon it is that the amount you've saved equals the cost you've spent. Um, We get a payback usually within two to three years with a product that's then going to last 15 to 20 years down the line. Um, In comparison, solar, which is a different area entirely, but um, most people in that industry will be very pleased to get a payback in the eight to 10 years Mm -hmm. timescale. So this is vastly more effective, I would argue, than than solar. Yes. Um, How rapidly do LEDs light up? Because CFLs take a while to warm up. Immediately. 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 It's, It's a completely different process. As you rightly say, fluorescent, either CFLs or the bigger tubes, um, have a chemical reaction going on within them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to get started. Um, and they, to, to start a fluorescent tube, you literally need what I would maybe slightly emotively, but I would call it a lightning bolt. I mean, it needs usually around 10 times the voltage of the standard mains voltage, so 2,400 volts almost like a lightning bolt going through a tube mm-hmm. to get it to start, to get the chemical reaction to start inside the tube. Um, and the light of the fluorescence is the side effect of that chemical reaction. Um, so you, first of all, you need the electronics to make it start, mm-hmm. and then you need that process to, to get going. And usually it flickers three or four times before it actually establishes itself as a, as a regular uh, reaction going on. So that all takes a, a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, fluorescent and halogen, needs to warm up to get to the effective operating temperature uh, before the side effect of the light yeah. takes effect. Yeah. So that, as you say, takes a few seconds. Um, LED doesn't go through that process. It's an electronic process where a clever diode, a literally a light-emitting diode, which is what the LED stands for, um, that um, is an electronic process, so passing electricity, passing power through the electronic circuit directly generates light. Okay, starts straight and away. And it starts straight away. So it comes on and, and you know, literally you can't tell any delay at all. Right. Now some people say it's a very harsh light. Yes, there are a number of different shades. I mean, we could call them colours in a way, but they're all white. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're t- marginally different shades of white. So yes, there, are, there is at the harsh end, if you want to call it that, uh, of cool white, which in um, technical terms is usually around five to 6,000 Kelvin, which is quite a harsh light. It's the sort of light that you might want in a laboratory or in a scientific environment or uh, sometimes in uh, a cool store or somewhere like that, maybe in the cold aisle of the supermarket. Um, but then you can also get... Um, LED lights which are at different areas of the visual spectrum so the visible spectrum I should say mm-hmm. so that's usually there is a, a, a mid white or a natural white in around the 4000 Kelvin range and then also a warm white which is down into the 2700 to 3000 Kelvin range now I think the best way to explain it is if you have a natural light in the middle which is, is, is reasonably like natural daylight and then you've got a slightly harsher bluer light, which is the cool end, and a slightly warmer or, or orangey apricoty sort of colour at the uh, at the at the warm end. So it's, it, to some extent, it is a, a, a personal choice. We're finding that 
most clients in offices go for the middle one or possibly the coo- the, the, the warmer, slightly yellowy. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, it's not really yellow, but very tinge. You remember the um, the white shades that you, that, of paint that came out a few years ago? And mm-hmm. you can actually hardly see the difference until you actually put it on a wall and you get the yeah. overall impression. Yeah. So it's very marginal change, but it makes a difference. Yes. So these are a solution for lighting in commercial and industrial situations. Is the domestic market catching up on this? Yes, it is. Um, I think the problem with domestic market is, well, from, from our point of view as, inst- as installers or distributors, um, the orders in, in one house are comparatively low value, mm-hmm. yet we've got to send people in. Uh, you know, so that It's not a realistic proposition for us as a company, right? Um, but clearly, there are now large numbers of LED lights starting to come into the B and Qs of this world. So there will be lots of places where individuals can go and buy lights. Um, a lot of people have tended to buy LED to replace halogens in these little down lighters mm-hmm. I was talking about, mm-hmm. and then putting those into the old fittings, and then finding they still fail and there's an issue. So I would certainly recommend but uh, we certainly always change all of the fittings, um, which is obviously a larger cost, but um, there again, if the lights are gonna last for 10 or your 10 years or longer, and and uh, you know, as opposed to replacing your little halogen yeah. down lighters yes. literally every few months. Yes. So you can imagine the overall product cost over a 10 year period is a lot lower. Yes. Um, yes. But yes, th- that is coming. Um, there are one or two companies in the energy market who are starting to offer free lights if oh, you yes. switch to their particular supply, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting proposition and uh, you know certainly worth, worth considering. But we concentrate more on the larger um, installations, offices, uh, factories, warehouses, hospitals, schools, uh, gyms, you know, these sort of places where there tend to be large numbers of lights and a very large electricity bill, yeah. <laughs> which makes yeah. a big difference when yeah. we can actually cut that down by a significant percentage. Yes. So how far have LEDs been adopted? I mean, what's the potential in terms um, of... Uh, the, t- at this stage, still comparatively little in the commercial market. And the latest research I've seen is that the market penetration is about five or six or maybe 7%. So 93% haven't changed yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, the predictions are that it will be, LED will be up to 75% by 2020, so in four years' time now. Wow. Now that is an immense change between here and here and then. Yes. And there are a number of reasons for that. First of all, of course, there's the economic argument. Um, I mean, if we can save a large company literally tens of thousands of pounds, then that's a very good reason for them to install. Yep. But the secondly is very much the environmental argument, because when energy doesn't need to be used, I mean, yes, it's good from the bill going down, but the thing that I keep um, trying to explain to people is that the key is that energy that isn't going to be used doesn't need to be generated. Right. So by reducing the demand, we can actually ease pressure on the supply. And as we all know, there are big issues about power stations and you know what is the most cost-effective way to generating electricity. Um, what do we do as the fossil fuels gradually run out and what alternatives are there? And I can see an immense amount of concentration on the generation side, 
you know how how effective is solar or wind or tidal or or any other um, generation technology but there's two sides to that coin you know don't just worry about the supply side if we could all use a lot less then that would make life a lot better as well Um, and I think LED lighting is certainly the most likely way that we can all use a lot less whether it's in the home or in in business and if we all saved 20 30 50 percent of our usage then that would have an enormous impact on the issues we have on the supply side. Yeah, so we'd be saving money, saving electricity and saving carbon. Very much so. We, we're doing a job with a large office block in Leeds at the moment. I mean, admittedly, it is quite a large building, but they are going to save nearly 200 tonnes of carbon a year from their, just by changing their lights. Yes. So this isn't an insignificant change. You know, you've got to drive an awful lot of hybrid cars, an awful lot of mileage <laughs> to save that sort of amount. So, you know, 200 tonnes. I mean, we've set ourselves a target um, within the next five years of saving Yorkshire-based businesses, which is where we're based, um, 10,000 tonnes of carbon yeah. by helping them to change and save money. Right. Now, that's our personal target. But, you know, again, if there were more people doing this, then you add up these sort of things and they really do have an impact mm-hmm. over a national and an international stage. Mm-hmm. I'm very frustrated when I hear all of the noise, for instance, about the um, the conference, the, the, the um, environmental conference in Paris a few weeks ago. I mean, it's all very well saying we are going to reduce our emissions. Mm-hmm. And yes, I mean, we all agree that's clearly what needs to happen. But there seems to be very little discussion about how we'll actually do it. I think you're absolutely right. In fact, I go to a conference this evening where they're well, going to indeed. discuss exactly that. Indeed. So, you know, I'm, we're, we're t- trying to take our message to the business audience that there is a way that they can save money and also be part of that movement to reduce carbon emissions in general. And uh, But I'm very well aware that businesses, they might well talk about the excellent side effects environmentally of doing the right thing but what gets a business to actually make a decision usually is a directly relevant personal financial decision right. you know if we can save money then we will do it because that will benefit us directly right and i think lots of people if they can see that there is an environmental benefit as a side effect then that's great yeah. of course we're all delighted yes. Yes. but the driver is the money it is it's always the driver isn't it yeah so, from where you're sitting, David, the future looks bright, illuminated by LED. <laughs> Absolutely. There are, yes, very much so. I mean, that's why I started this business a couple of years ago, because I could see this opportunity um, and being a really big opportunity over the next few years. So, so yes, we, we are very, very positive about it. And we are finding, even as a comparatively new small company, we are now getting to the stage where we are talking to remarkably large organizations about what they can save and you know we're talking just in the last week I've had three new opportunities two for very large hospitals and a third for a very large chain of gyms national chain of gyms and collectively those three companies if they changed all of their lights to LED would save collectively at least a thousand tons of carbon a year just in those three Right. units, let alone all the hundreds and hundreds of others that are out there. So we can collectively make a difference. 
and I'm delighted to be part of you know a drive to bring that opportunity and bring that saving to individual businesses and also to society as a whole. David, thank you very much for talking to the Sustainable Futures Report. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks very much for the time, Tony. Thank you. David Emsley. You can contact him at www.novaluxled.lighting. That's N-O-V-A-L-U-X-L-E-D dot lighting, L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. That's one of those new domains. So it's not .com or .co.uk, it's just .lighting. Before I go, let's visit the Wacky Ideas Department. Well, it sounds wacky, but it seems to be working. It involves storing energy in balloons, underwater balloons. According to digitaltrends.com, Canada's hydro store has developed a creative energy storage solution that is half the cost of the best battery technology and lasts twice as long. This clean energy startup is storing energy as compressed air and then housing the air underwater inside giant balloons. Though it sounds ridiculous, the idea is efficient at energy storage and an environmentally friendly zero emissions solution. Cleantech startup HydroStore designed and is now partnering with Toronto Hydro to operate the world's first underwater compressed air energy storage system. Located three kilometres off the shore of Toronto Island, a series of underwater balloons containing compressed air are submerged under 55 metres of water and connected to HydroStore's power facility via a pipe. The facility currently is being used to store excess energy from Toronto's existing power grid during non-peak times. It can also be adapted to store energy from renewable energy sources such as wind or solar power providing the ability to store energy during peak energy generation times to compensate for the occasional downtimes. You heard it here first. Find out more at digitaltrends.com And that's it. This is Anthony Day and another Sustainable Futures Report draws to a close. This week I went to an event at Leeds University called Unpacking the Paris Agreement is it enough to limit dangerous climate change? I'll tell you all about that next time. Bye for now.